Father, I would come before you in these issues that have come to the forefront uh, just recently in the past few weeks. I pray that you would help them to be relevant to us, that we may be able to be knowledgeable, be willing to talk with others about them, be willing to engage, and also, Lord, be willing to walk away as we seek to inform them of your will. Uh, Also the state of humanity, also the end of humanity, where we are all headed. I would ask that you would give us wisdom in this, Lord, for you are magnificent, you are omniscient, you are all-knowing, you are all-powerful, and you are everywhere. And we ask, Lord, that we can communicate this in a relevant way to the culture in which we seek to influence. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I've been going through the scriptures, I I was paying attention to what's going on culturally the last couple of weeks, and I decided to do a review this last week of everything that's in the news. Yeah. Here we go. Here are the things that are in the news. You ready? Supply chain shortages, products for women and infants in short supply, gasoline is over $6 in most places. There's a diesel shortage they claim is coming. It's already here, but they say also we are going to run out of diesel and diesel products, diesel oil and DEF, which is diesel exhaust fluid, as well as diesel. They say we're running out and there's going to be a time where we won't have any because of the shortages. Now, I was talking to the youth about this. If this is true, if it comes to fruition, how does that affect us? Everything you get comes in a truck that normally runs on diesel. So that's in the news. Farmers can't harvest their crops due to the high cost of diesel. Inflation is on its way over 8%, which translates to a hidden tax on all Americans. The trans LGBTQ plus gender issues are ubiquitous. They're everywhere. <coughs> Thank you. Thank you. Excuse me. <coughs> Threats to the lives of conservative Supreme Court justices, the assassination attempt on Justice Kavanaugh, that was in the news. Woke corporations following the politically and philosophical agendas of the leftists or Marxist activists which are out there, that's in the news. Violence being perpetrated by BLM and Antifa, the lack of experience and skill in the executive branch of our government, the corruption in the part of, uh, in part, for those in the legislative branch of the federal government, a lot of corruption there in the federal government. A recession is coming through the door. Interest rates are surging. Illegal alien influx is out of control, otherwise known as immigration. Sexual predators in drag are reading stories to elementary school children in libraries, and this is an acceptable behavior mode. Corporations planning to pay for anyone who wants to get an abortion, and you know how much they're willing to pay? $4,000 per person if they have to go to another state to get an abortion. What if they paid every family $4,000 that had an additional child? Just, just think how that would benefit our society. The pandemic shutdowns and the vaccines have created real economic and psychological problems. Violence and crime are surging across the country. Ukraine and Russia, the war could expand to NATO countries. Thousands of commercial airline flights are being canceled. Did you see that over Father's Day? It's just can- thousands of them canceled. And the reason they say the, the cancellations are taking place is because of weather. If they say it's because of weather, they don't have to reimburse. If it's their problem, they say it's for, you know, it's weather and we don't have to worry about it. But if it's their problem, they have to pay. 
Then free speech rights are being diminished across the country. Mass shootings are a common news item. Criminals are being let out of jails and prisons. You know, there's one shoplifter in New York City that has been arrested 122 times because there's a no-bail requirement. He just goes in and back out, goes in and back out 122 times. Hormone replacement therapy is given is being given to children without parental consent, and these same children are being persuaded to surgically, irreversibly, and permanently alter their bodies. Suicide is on the increase. Monkeypox is the new pandemic. Tidal wave of evictions are expected because the moratorium that was placed on evictions during the pandemic. Well, all of those... CDC requirements are going away and stagflation. That's where people are not buying because the uncertainty in the economy and those who are producing the goods we want stop producing them because people aren't buying them, which means people get laid off, which means people don't buy things. It's a vicious circle. It just starts going around. We haven't had this since the seventies. So good news all the way around, right? All the things, if you just listen to the news, it's easy to become depressed economically, militarily, and politically, there is not one single piece of good news, except for this last couple of weeks. On the moral front, there is some great news. It is huge. Three things specifically have transpired in the last couple of weeks. You guys know who FINA is? They are the international body that is in charge of regulating all swimming events internationally. They came out and they said that trans individuals will not be able to compete in swimming events internationally. <clears throat> then there was the uh, Supreme Court, the concealed carry restriction. In California, New York, and three other states, you were not able to go in and just apply for a permit for a concealed carry weapon and be able to walk away with it. You have to have a special circumstance. This is the case in our county as well. If you wanted to get a concealed carry permit, you are not allowed to do so unless you had a special circumstance. Unless you gave to somebody's campaign, unless you were of the right political party, and, you know, unless you were carrying lots of money, unless you know somebody personally. You know, it, it's all these special requirements. And the Supreme Court said, ixnay on that. There are no special requirements. Not that all the other restrictions don't apply. They do. But you can't tell somebody they can't have a permit for a concealed carry because of a special circumstance. And, of course, I believe they ruled rightly on that according to the Constitution. And then the third and final one, the big one, Roe versus Wade, was struck down. <clears throat> now, what this means specifically is there is no longer a nationwide right, a constitutional right to abortion. It all goes back to the states. Now, I heard at first there are 13 states are definitely uh, wiping out abortion. There is going to be no abortion. But then I heard this morning that it's 26 states. So it's half the country. Now, we're setting up culturally for a civil war here, culturally speaking, where there's going to be states that have it and states that don't have it. And both, I believe, are going to go to the extreme ends. I don't, personally, I'm very conservative on this. I don't think that abortion should be allowed in any circumstances, except if the mother is going to perish. Uh, because then, if the mother's going to perish, you're going to lose two lives, and that baby is not viable. There's no way it's going to come to term. And so I believe that's the only time, because it's not the baby's fault 
that there is sin in the world and that baby is a person created in the image of God. So these are three huge moral victories. There's, there's like a light, a, a silver lining on everything that is going wrong. And these are just momentous because of the right to life. This means literally thousands and thousands of children will be born that weren't previously going to be born. And there's things connected with this too, you know, like Charlie Kirk, if you're familiar with him. And he said, he wrote a little blurb on uh, Twitter. <clears throat> he said, and just like that, the Democrats recognize what a woman is. You know, it's just like changing the narrative and they're forced to go in a direction which they are really striving to resist. And, and so with these moral issues, some people would say they're not moral. They're political. And I would go against that. Everything that is being passed as far as a law is concerned is a moral issue. Like, for instance, would you be able to say that if taxes get way too high, it becomes a moral issue? Or if you don't pay taxes, is that a moral issue? It is, according to the Scripture, because Scripture says pay your taxes. If you don't pay your taxes, you're being immoral. If taxes are too high, remember Rehoboam and Jeroboam? Raise the taxes too high, and everybody split to the northern kingdom, ten kingdoms, or ten tribes, and two tribes remained down in Israel. And, and so, it, excuse me, down in Judah. So it was a problem, the, the uh, confiscatory taxation rates which are out there. So these are all moral issues that we're dealing with, but how do we reach out to those who have views that are opposite of what God teaches in his word without being offensive? Did you see some of the protests which were out there from Roe versus Wade and people just getting in faces of other people? And there was one particular case, I don't know if you saw this, in Texas where um, there were people out there singing a, a gospel song and there were uh, anti life people that were circling them and they were saying hail satan is what they were saying i don't know if you saw that you can look it up you can find it uh, facebook took it down they didn't want it up there but you can still see it on youtube and i think a couple other places so how do we reach out to those who have opposing views without being offensive how do we interact with those who have opposing views on the moral issues. And I believe they're all moral issues. And how do we stay relevant but hold on to our sacred beliefs? For instance, there was an example this last week. I was listening to a teaching, a question and answer thing. And somebody was making a comment about Matt Walsh and his um, program, What is a Woman? That's on the Daily Wire. You have to be a subscriber to be able to watch it. I intend on watching it in the future. I haven't watched it yet. But somebody made a comment about it. And they said they only had one objection. Now, by the way, Matt Walsh is a committed Christian. Uh, if you do any investigation into him, he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he works at the Daily Wire with Ben Shapiro, who is a full-on Jew that rejects uh, Jesus as the Messiah. But Matt Walsh, he's a believer. And the objection that this one person raised was, you don't point it back to God you, you just go through what is a woman, but there's no mention about God. And I know that they did this for a reason. They did this because they didn't want the secular society just to immediately discount it because you're talking about God because they don't believe in God. And if you even mention God, they're, they're just going to discount it. And Matt Walsh, he was great in his demeanor. The clips that I have seen, you know, what he's talked about, and I'm sure you've seen several of them as well. But that was the objection, that you don't mention God, but you get across your point point. 
Well, one hand I agree with that on the other hand I don't agree with that because you have to be able to open up the conversation with somebody without immediately hitting him upside the head that the whole human race is damned and going to hell and you're under the judgment what are you going to do about it if you start with that then you're probably going to ruin the next 10 minutes or the next 15 minutes that you have with the individual you've already offended them and by the way the gospel is offensive to tell somebody that they're a sinner and they're destined for hell, and but they have a chance to rede- be redeemed by Christ, people don't want to hear that. What does the world say? You're a good person. You, you hang out with good people. When I lived in Hawaii several decades ago, they said, oh, good people is what they would say about the other individuals. And so there is this tension that we have to, uh, the tightrope, so to speak, that we have to walk on where we're not being so completely offensive, so stuck in our old ways that we're not relevant anymore to the society in which we believe, in which we live and the things that we hold to, the things that we believe that are sacred. We don't ditch those in order to accomplish just reasoning them out of their particular moral views. And by the way, <clears throat> all these troubling issues that we are experiencing are direct result of our worldview. Now, what is a worldview? There's the biblical worldview that we hold up the Bible and we say, this is what the world should look like according to the scriptures. If you take the Bible and set it to the side, you have a couple of different worldviews, but the dominant one for us in this society is the humanist worldview, the secular worldview, where there is no God, there is no absolute truth, there are no eternal consequences for our actions. Whatever is pragmatic, that's what needs to be implemented. And the view, also <clears throat> this particular worldview, it's the ends justifies the means. That means if we need to use violence to get what we want, that's justified, that's okay, that is moral, and might makes right. That's kind of the view that the world has. And you see that taking place even today. But, you know, in our society, we have removed God. We have removed accountability. We have done away with absolute truth. And as believers, it is our duty to respond to these cultural modifications. We have to simply say, you know, I don't think that's the way we should go. I think we should return to those things which are good, not to the things which are bad, but to return to the things which are good and were beneficial not only for the individual but for society as a whole. And so as believers, should we even have discussions with unbelievers that oppose one or all three of the issues that I just gave you, whether the trans and the gay issues, whether the gun control or abortion? Those are the three big ones that just came about. That's the silver lining. Should we even talk to people about those things? And how exactly do we do that? How do we engage in a society that is hostile to Christians? How do you do that? How do you open your mouth? We want to win them to Christ, but we don't want to scuttle our chance of doing that because we believe in biblical morality. They don't believe in biblical morality. And when I say the, they, they are created in the image of God. They are people God wants to save. He has a heart for them. He died for them. God loves them. And we need to have that same view. So how do we do this exactly? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of things here. Now, I have six points, but they're kind of in three categories. First one is knowledge. You have to have knowledge of God's word on the relevant issues. Whatever the moral issue is, you, be able, you must be able to go to the scripture and say, 
This is what scripture says about this issue. And if the scripture doesn't address the issue, it's a gray area. I heard somebody talking about this last week too. Gambling. Is gambling a moral issue? I know that there are people on both extremes. I am free to do whatever I want to in Christ Jesus. Nobody should judge me by the way I live and what I do with my money. It's okay. And the other person is, it's sinful behavior and not being a wise steward with your money. And you need to turn from this sinful practice. And, and that's the two extremes. And then there's somebody in between that says, but I just buy a lottery ticket, you know, and something like that right in the middle. And then there's the casinos that are around here. And I've had people come up to me that have worked in the casinos, and that's questionable anyhow. But somebody works in the casinos, and they come up to me and they say, you'd be surprised who we see at the casinos, you know. And, oh, I don't ask for names. I just um, sit, tell them to send me an email on the, the names of the people. But I, I'm just kidding. I don't, don't ask for that. It doesn't matter to me what you're doing. You're going to be accountable to God. For what you do, just like I'm accountable to God for what I do. So the knowledge of God's word, we have to have it down. We have to know what it says. I've heard all kinds of doctrines in my 31, 32 years of doing this and even before. And and you're able to go to the scriptures and say, is this true? Is this not true? Like uh, one issue would be reincarnation. I know believers who believed in reincarnation. I'm like, where do you get that? Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed unto man once to die and then face judgment. There is no do-overs. There is no second chances. Even the cults believe that. The Jehovah Witnesses you know, they believe you get a second chance. Also the Mormons. Oh, you may not go to the highest heaven, but you can get to the telestial heaven. You know, you can get to that one. And, and so there's these different views. But does scripture talk about that? So we have to have knowledge of God's word on the relevant issues. Secondly, we have to have knowledge on the relevant moral issues we can't just say it's wrong god said it that settles it i believe it that's just you need to accept it no you need to be able to engage with somebody on the moral issues specifically these three that i have given to you like the trans and the gay and all of that you need to be able to engage with them on that particular issue or the concealed carry why is concealed carry a moral issue I'll be getting to that. Uh, what about uh, the second little category that has two points in it? A willingness to engage others. You can get all the knowledge. You can be updated. But you have to open your mouth. You have to go to somebody and engage with them and be willing to do so. If you're not willing to do so, you say, yeah, I know it's right, but I'm not going to talk to anybody about it. I just don't like the arguing. You know, when Jesus would open his mouth... When he said, you must eat of my body, the Pharisees' hair lit on fire. It just, they were going, they were arguing angrily with each other, going, what in the world is he talking about? They argued. You know, the Jews, I, I have a Jewish background. My grandfather was a full Jew. He was excommunicated because he married my grandmother, a Baptist. But I have that in my background, and you know that Jews, you can have two Jews with three opinions, and, and they go back and forth on that. That's just the way they are. You know, they're a vibrant people, and they, they just are really intense and everything. That's why God called them a stiff-necked people. They were motivated by their own desires. They, they just knew what they wanted, and they would just argue a lot. Well, you have to be willing to jump into the fray. You have to be willing just to say, 
Okay, well, let's talk about this. But in a, a good way, not in an argumentative way, and that leads to the second point in this second category. Wisdom combined with spiritual and secular knowledge when addressing those with opposing views. You have to pray that God gives you wisdom what to say and what not to say. What to hold back. You don't want to dump on them. You don't want to try to overcome them with your prowess and your intellect and just be able to put them in their place because you know some big words. And I heard a joke this last week. Somebody said, I like to use big words so I can show everybody that I, I understand uh, photosynthesis and how to be, and I forget how the joke goes, but it was something like that, using huge words, you know, just, it's like, don't do that. Stick with the vocabulary that you understand and you're able to give to people where they understand it as well. It's like um, when it comes to the doctrines of the Christian faith, you put the cookies on the bottom shelf, Right? Where people can come up and they can grab a cookie and say, oh, yeah, okay, I understand that. But if you're using the hypostatic union, the homoousion, and people are going, what in the world are you talking about? Or harmart eology, that's the doctrine of sin. If you start talking in terms like that, they're going to say, what is it you're communicating? And so you want to be able to communicate in a relevant manner with knowledge of the Bible, with knowledge of the culturally relevant moral issue. Put all that together and engage kind of like star trek engage number one you know something like that you want to be able to engage with the people who are out there so first you have knowledge knowledge of god's word and relevant issues knowledge of the relevant moral issues the secular views that are out there a willingness to engage others family friends and and people who are out there that you meet and wisdom to combine spiritual and secular knowledge when addressing those with opposing views and then the third category is the ability to command a dispassionate attitude when necessary and not argue. What that means is, now I, I'm real passionate. When the Jehovah Witnesses come to my door, they don't anymore. I have to track them down. But <clears throat> when, when I have a conversation with them, I tend to get real passionate. You know, and I, I apologize. I always say, please don't misrepresent my attitude and my enthusiasm because I'm just angry at you guys. I'm just really enthused what scripture has to say and and I want to give that to you. And they're always apologetic. Oh, it's not a problem. You just go ahead. You tell us what you think. Okay. And and I calm down a little bit. Now I'm going to refer back to Matt Walsh. Remember Matt Walsh. If you've seen some of his clips on what is a woman, the man has a poker face. He, he just will say something and he asks the question matter-of-factly. Like, he'll sit back with his beard. He looks like a lumberjack. He sits back and he goes, Can you define for me what a woman is without using the word woman? And he just looks at him. And that's what he does with every single question. He, he's dispassionate. And you can ask questions like that instead of going, Can you tell me what a woman is? You, know, you see the difference in the two? One is you're attacking the individual. The other is let them speak. Let them be able to have a discourse without feeling threatened. And so the ability to command a dispassionate attitude when necessary and not argue. If it turns into an argue fest, you've lost. It's done. And then the final thing in this category is the ability to walk away. You have to be able to say, okay, I'm done. I can't help you. You know, I, I can't, I, obviously I, 
you're going to believe what you want to believe. And, you know, I respect you as a human being. I don't believe what you do, but you're entitled to that view. And you can walk away. Same thing with witnessing. You cannot badger somebody into the kingdom. You need to repent. You need to make them try to feel guilty and they just get stiff-necked and they won't do it. So that is how we set up, I guess, the, uh, the rules for engagement is what you would call them. How you engage with somebody else on these particular issues. Now, let's go to the first one, for example. The transgender issues, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, queer, and questioning. And there's so many more that are on there. Make no mistake, the innocence of our children is being robbed. They're getting into the elementary schools, even the preschools. All the corporations have it. All the rainbow stuff which is out there. It is being just forced upon our kids. It's ubiquitous. They're being inundated and overwhelmed with information that will groom them to focus on this area, this human condition, human sexuality. When a kid is five years old, they shouldn't have to focus on that. They're caring more about boys or trucks and girls with little dolls. Patty and I were at the fair this last week, and we sat down. And we got some of the kettle corn and caramel corn. And we just sat on a bench. And we watched everybody walk by. You know, it's kind of fun watching the people come in in different dresses that they, dress that they have, not dresses. Some had dresses on. But as they're walking by and the men, the way that they present themselves and come through. And then you see the kids. And there's the little boys. They're so distinct from the girls. The little boys come in. We saw this one little boy. He was standing there, and then he started doing circles. Just round and round and round and round. And, and then you see the little girls, and they're just standing there. You know, they're, they're not doing anything at all. They're just totally different attitudes. I saw this one mom. She was holding this little boy's hand, and he saw, you know those chairs where you can sit on, and the, the vibrator things comes on your feet, and it goes like that in your feet oh it feels great on the feet well there was all kinds of chairs lined up there was a green one a yellow one a red one a blue one and he saw that well he broke away from his mom's arm and he had to crawl all over those chairs all the way to the end and the little girls are just holding on to mommy's hand as they walk by or daddy's hand that's just it such a big difference which is out there and those little kids that's what they should focus on Oh, look at the, and the Pikachus. You know what a Pikachu is? It's the yellow doll with the lightning bolt tail that's out there. And they're bigger than human beings. And you, you had to stick one in the tram that was going where it needed to go. And you, you saw all that. And the kids get excited about Pikachus or the other stuffed animals that are just enormous. That you don't know where you're going to put them once you get them home. That, that's what the kids should be focused on. Just having fun at the fair and eating the cotton candy and all the goodies that are there. Just having a great time. Not on this sexual stuff. Let the kids be kids. Let them be innocent. And what does God's word say on the issues of the physical relationships we maintain when it comes to these transgender and, and gay and bisexual and marriage and all of that? Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So there are how many genders? 
two genders. That's it. I looked it up. You know how many genders there are now? 81. 81. At least that was one website. One website had it like at 50 or 55. This one had it at 81. And it was going through all the different cultures throughout the world and how they give assign gender to people. And I just said, you've got to be kidding me. 81 different genders. And how many does God say there are? There are two. There are male and there are female. <clears throat> and so you have to be able to have a discourse about male and female. What makes you a woman? What makes you a man? I asked this question to the kids in youth group. And they were pausing. They are thinking, what is a woman? And I had to tell them that we want to speak in general terms because people always like to go to the exception to define the rules for everyone in general. And I told them you can't do that. You have to stick with the general rule of what a woman is. What is a woman? Well, a woman has chromosomes that are different from a man. There's XX and there's XY. The man and the woman, they have different chromosomes. That makes them a woman. Now, they used to use this as a test for sports. The only problem is they found out that some of the men had female chromosomes and some of the females had men chromosomes, even though you couldn't tell it by the way that they looked. So they stopped using that. So what's the difference between a male and a female? A woman, she's able to bear children. Can a man bear children? Well, yes, today they can, right? That's what they're trying to tell you. No, men cannot bear children. I mean, that's one of the defining characteristics. Now, can all women bear children? No, but for the most part, they have the organs that do that. They do have the estrogen. The men have the testosterone, that type of thing. Even though they may overlap to some degree, that is the way that their life is constructed. Their brain is different. I've told you the story before. When the young boys are developing in the womb, what happens when testosterone begins to be released? They're severing between the left and the right side of the brain where the women, that remains intact with the estrogen. And that's why they think with both sides of the brain, that's why men are single-minded. Give me the remote and don't talk to me while I'm watching the TV. They, they keep it singular. Where women are going, he's watching the TV, but I need to talk to him about the finances in the house. And then what am I going to do with the kids and the cars breaking down? And he needs to sit down and listen to me and about all of these different things that are going through my mind so I feel better. And the guy's going, what? You know, that, that's all the guy. He speaks in monosyllabic terms. And so that's the difference between men and women. And God created us that way for a reason. Men are problem solvers. Women are nurturers. That's just the way it is. Now, is there some crossover in that? Yes, there's crossover in that, and that's okay. But we know that there's a dividing line between the two. And so you have to have that knowledge. How do you communicate that to somebody who doesn't want to believe that? You know, this is rooted in God. There is no God, anything applies. If you don't believe in God, you'll believe in anything else besides God. Now, it's Satan's desire to erase everything that God has set up in this world, and he would change it and make it his own. What did he do with male and female? Now, there are 81 different genders. What did he do with marriage? Marriage is no longer the union between a man and a woman because a man and a woman don't exist. Well, they do on one hand. There's the cisgender. 
but then they may not on the other hand because there's multiple genders of every kind and so they're kind of confused in what they actually believe Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 says for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh and, and so the gay marriage issue that came up who's entitled to be married are gays entitled to be married the answer is yes to somebody of the opposite sex nobody is being denied marriage anyone can get married according to God as long as they marry the opposite sex but the gays would say no we want to change the definition of the word marriage they want to be able to have two people of the same gender engage in quote unquote marriage I would call it holy matrimony but it is anything but and so this idea of marriage, they want to change the actual definition of the world. That's what's a word. That's what Satan wants to do. Wants to change marriage from a man and a woman being united together, cleaving to each other and leaving their father and mother. And that's what the scripture says. And so everyone has the right to be married according to God, but you must marry the opposite sex. Now, there is a move to change this definition of the word. And it's not just between a man and a woman. It can be between, as I just said, two people of the same sex. It can also be between a polyamorous throuple, three people. You can get married between three people. It doesn't stop there. You start looking into this. There are people that have married their pets, a cat, a dog. It doesn't stop there. There is a woman who married Bruce. Bruce is a Ferris wheel. I kid you not. Another woman married a warehouse. And the icing on this, a woman married the Santa Fe San Diego train depot. I kid you not. Now, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm going, oh, this must be the Babylon Bee, right? No. It shows pictures of the ceremony and people showing up and they're, they're just saying, this is wonderful. You can marry, and, and not to mention the dolls that are out there that men marry and women marry. But, you know, they don't have arguments or anything, I guess. But that, that's just how it's working out. And so now, marriage has been obliterated that God has designed, at least the definition of it, and it is in anything that you want it to be. It's a relationship that you're committed to, quote unquote. And then there's the rainbow we know that in genesis chapter 9 god set up the rainbow and promised that he would never destroy the earth again by a flood how many flags are out there now for the gay transgender lgbtq rstuv how many flags are out there now 50 there are 50 different flags that define the 80 different genders or the 50 different genders they just have to come up with a flag for the the rest of the genders that aren't covered yet now by design like i said there are only two genders two different genders are to be married to each other the opposite that's the way god designed it but we're trying to change that that's what satan wants to do well does god condemn that type of relationship he most certainly does first timothy chapter 1 verse 10 those who are engaged in sexual immorality or homosexuality or slave traders traders it says it's immoral behavior we know it says in first corinthians 6 9 do not be deceived they will not inherit the kingdom of god homosexual offenders sexual immoral leviticus twenty thirteen says <clears throat> it is a detestable thing 
when a man lies with a man as he lies with a woman. Romans chapter 1, verse 27, the penalty of their perversion, the homosexual uh, acts that they perform, the penalty of that perversion, they're, they're going to suffer under it. Like, for instance, remember AIDS or, or uh, HIV, you know, that came along, but it was really a uh, gay, quote-unquote, disease, but they tried everything in their power to say it wasn't. And they tried to scare people. I still have a file at home that deals with all the scare tactics and all the articles that came out said it's going to cross over to the regular population. This is going to be a pandemic. Never turned out to be that way. You know monkeypox? You know where it started? It was over in Amsterdam in another gay pride celebration over there. 99% of the people in the UK that have monkeypox and I should read how it says. It says, um, men who are gay, bisexual, or have sex with other men. I think that if you have sex with other men, you're either gay or bisexual, but they try to give another category on this. 99% of the people in the UK that have monkeypox are gay or bisexual. It's a homosexual disease, again. Now, would I walk into the homosexual community and say, you people are responsible for the monkey bug. You think I'm going to win enemies doing that? I'm not going to do that. So I have to be able to talk to them about that and be able to interject what Scripture has to say. So theologically and spiritually speaking, marriage is between one man and one woman. There are only two genders. The physical relationship outside of marriage is sinful. I mean, that's just the bottom line from Scripture. A pragmatic view Uh, Everything has a purpose. Man is made for woman and woman for man. For instance, does a chair make a good hammer? It doesn't make a good hammer. Uh, How about does a dog make a good fish? No. If you try to make it be a fish, you're going to kill the dog, right? And so what was man, man created for? To honor God, right? And he was made for the woman, And the woman was made for the man. We were made for each other. I read that to you. They were made for each other. We have one specific purpose usually in our existence. Well, two for us. Worship God and also we're made for each other. That's the way it works. Everything else flows from that. And anything you look at in this life has one purpose. Like this railing over here. You think that railing makes a good spoon? No, it doesn't. Everything has a specific purpose. And, but we want to confuse the issue, like Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson. I don't know what a woman is. I'm not a biologist. You know, that was a political answer. She knows what a woman is. If you asked her if she was a woman, she'd say yes. Well, define yourself without using the word woman. She wasn't willing to do it because it would violate the politics of the left out there. So people are making political decisions about moral issues, and they're trying to say it's just political, but it's not. It's a moral issue. Now, with these views, how do we engage someone who doesn't hold our spiritual views? Philippians 4 or 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 1 Timothy 6.11. Pursue righteousness, goodness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. 1 Peter 3.15. 
But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you and give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's how we're supposed to do it. We have the knowledge. We have the willingness. We ask for the wisdom. We are to go to the people with all of these characteristics, with a gentleness, with respect, have a conversation with them. Now, when this happens, most of the time, people will want to engage. Part of the time, they will just try to scream you down. And that's why you have to have the ability to just walk away. Don't engage with that. Just say, okay, I'm done. So we want to be knowledgeable, both spiritually and culturally. We want to be willing to engage gently, gently with respect, praying for wisdom, be willing to walk away and avoid the arguments. Now, what about the gun issue? Is this a moral issue? I believe it is. Do we have the right to own and use guns or should all guns be taken away under the pretense that gun violence will cease? Do you believe that if they pass laws to get rid of all the guns that gun violence will cease? If they do that, the only people who will have guns are the violent or the sinners or the criminals which are out there. They're the, going to be the only ones that will have guns. Have you uh, ever seen somebody win between a knife fight and a gunfight that has the knife? Unless they're Bruce Lee, I I don't know how they might win. Uh, But you're not supposed to think that that is something that is reasonable, right? Now, lethal force. Is lethal force condemned or condoned in Scripture in particular cases? Exodus chapter 22 verse 2 says, If a thief is caught breaking in and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. Now back then they didn't have guns. They didn't have AR-15s. They didn't have shotguns. They had knives and they had swords. They had clubs. So if you strike somebody with a club, if they're in their house at night, he's a thief and he dies, oh well. That's what God says. Too bad. Shouldn't have broken in. And so are we allowed to use lethal force? Does God condone the use of lethal force in defense? Now, I'm not saying just because you want to go use lethal force. But in the case of defending yourselves or somebody else, Luke chapter 22, verse 36, he said to his disciples, but now if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. A sword wasn't used for cutting bread. A sword was used for self-defense and lethal self-defense. That's what he said to take along with you. Why? Because they knew they are going to be persecuted. Now, the sword itself could be a deterrent. If somebody pulls out a dagger and you pull out a sword, is that a deterrent? You bet it is because the sword is longer than the dagger. You can reach farther. It's more effective. Well, if you have a sword and you have a gun, which one is more effective? The gun is more effective. If somebody shows up and wants to rob you with a gun, what's more effective? Another gun. It's going to stop the violent criminal. Yeah, I I can't tell you how many videos I've seen of this. Maybe you saw this one the last week. And this took place, I believe it was in Texas. There was a police officer. The video shows him standing next to a vehicle. The driver's side, the window is open, and he's talking with the person inside the vehicle. He has a body cam on, and his vehicle has a cam focused on him. So he has two perspectives on this. 
what happens is he's talking to the person in the individual as I'm watching the video, a car comes towards him. As the car comes towards him, the person makes an abrupt stop, tries to get out, forgets to set the emergency brake and take it out of park, goes forward just another inch or two, stops. By that time, the officer has his hand on his gun. He's waiting to see what's going to happen here. The guy then flings open his door, comes out, and tries to kill the officer with a hatchet. The officer pulls his gun six times, the man's dead. I don't know if you saw it, this happened this last week. For no good reason, he just pulls up and tries to kill the officer. And you can see from his body cam, the hatchet that he's holding. You can't see it from the car, but you can see it from his body cam. Now, which would you rather have in that case, a hatchet or a gun? And he did what was right. He protected himself and maybe the person in the car from this attacker with a hatchet. We have the right to self-defense and to defend others with lethal force. If you have a concealed carry permit and you're carrying a gun, you have the right to take somebody out if they want to kill somebody harm them in any way, and they refuse to back down. There is nobody that will convict that individual for protecting the lives of others. That's what the concealed carry permits are all about. Some of these mass shooters who are out there, they purposely go to places where guns are banned. Schools, guns are banned. So where do the mass shooters go? To schools. Arm the teachers, I say, if they want to be armed. Have an armed resistance. You go to Israel, the field trips, they have two people walking with the groups of students with guns in hand. You go through the Damascus Gate, there's a window up on top, and there's a a shooter up there. And when we walked out the Damascus Gate when we were there years ago, we could see that he's just looking at us through the scope like this. I didn't feel threatened in any way. I didn't think that he was going to shoot us as we went out. Now, if I would have pulled out a knife and started stabbing somebody, he probably would have shot me. I did not have that kind of thought. I was not going to go in that direction. I was not going to pull out a gun or anything like that. But he was ready. And guess what? There's no violence at the Damascus Gate. None of the kids that go on vacation or go to a field trip have to worry about anything. They have armed guards right there. You go into a mall in Israel, you have to go through a metal detector with armed guards checking you to make sure that you are okay. And and so we have this ability to protect ourselves. Now, philosophically and pragmatically speaking, how do you stop someone with a gun that intends to do harm? You must use equal or greater force in order to stop them. And a knife will not stop a bullet, like I said. So related scripture with this, and by the way, Did you know that in Chicago, the police are no longer allowed to chase somebody who commits not a major crime, but a minor crime, an offense, and is caught in the middle of doing it, runs away. The police are now prohibited from chasing them. They cannot chase them. What do you think that that's going to do? They're going to buy new tennis shoes, and they're going to go out and commit more crimes, and just if they can get away then it's going to be all right. Scripture says in Ecclesiastes 8.11, when the sentence of the crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. That's exactly what's going to happen. We are going in the wrong direction. We can stand up and say, no, this is not good. This is not full of wisdom. And, And so 
some of the laws that have been passed, like in New York and some in California, you have to store your gun in a safe separate from the ammo, which is in a safe, and the gun has to have a trigger lock. You might as well not have a gun. If somebody breaks into your house in the middle of the night and he tries to rob you and he has a gun, wait, let me open my box. Let me take off the trigger lock. Let me put the ammo inside. And you cannot defend your family. Now, I understand there are people that are against violence. We live in a world filled with violence. And God would have us stand up to that violence and and make a stand and just say, this is not acceptable and I am willing to protect others at the cost of my own life and using lethal force. That is the biblical mandate that we have. There's no greater love than this than a man laid down his life for his friend. Anybody is a friend that you would lay down your life for. And, and God calls us to do that. And so the final thing is the abortion issue. So much can be said about this. You, you have to be well-versed in the reasons that are given for justifying abortions. For instance, poverty, abuse. They might be deformed. It was one of the Benelux countries that said they wiped out Down syndrome. How did they do it? By aborting all Down syndrome babies. And they celebrated the fact that there's no sound Down syndrome in their country. And how about this one? Uh, they're not human yet. How is it that they're not human yet? And you have to be, I'll take this one for a little bit. Somebody who's in the womb, a person who is in the womb, what makes them not human? And somebody might say, well, they don't have arms or legs developed yet. Oh, really? What if you have, I've been, I used to work in Sharp Hospital. I did all the plants on the interior. And I remember seeing a guy in there. He had nothing on his body below his belly button. And he was in a wheelchair. He didn't have some of his limbs. You look at the veterans who come back from the wars. They're missing limbs. They're missing eyes. They're missing body parts. That doesn't make them not human because they don't have the body parts. Well, they're not breathing yet. Oh, really? What about the people who are in comas that are on ventilators? They they have to breathe with the aid of a machine. Are they unworthy of life as well just because they're not breathing on their own? Is that what we're supposed to look at? Well, they're not fully developed. Well, what about people who are deformed that come into this life that say, I'm so thankful that I'm alive? Even though that they're deformed and they're cognizant, they have their faculties with them mentally. Are they not worthy of life? And see, we want to determine who's worthy of life and who's not worthy of life. And then you have to ask them, that thing inside the womb, what is it? Is it human or is it not human? That's what you have to ask. And then what makes them human at that particular stage? As soon as that, that uh, mitosis, meiosis takes place, that's a human being. As soon as the egg meets the sperm, that's a human being. That's the stage in which you say that person is deserving of life. And even if there were valid arguments in this realm, like a woman's right to choose, even if that was valid, there's one argument that trumps them all. We are created in the image of God, and God will not destroy that image forever. That means we exist forever. He will not wipe it out. It's either going to exist in hell or it's going to exist in heaven. God honors that form which has been made. And we are to honor that same form as well. And this is not only a crime. It is of the most heinous, monstrous, and odious kind. To take an innocent child and snuff out their life. Deuteronomy 27 verse 25 says, Cursed is the man who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person. Then all the people shall say, 
Amen. That's what the scripture says. We're all in agreement with that. If somebody takes a bribe or gets paid to take the life of another, that's why we've been under a curse. What do you, all those things that I read at the beginning. Are we under a curse or what? And I didn't even give you all of them that I could have given you, all the problems that are in our country and are in the world. We're definitely under some kind of curse because of what we have done. Hopefully the tide will change on this. Now some people say it's just reaping and sowing. It may be reaping and sowing. It may be a curse. I don't know. But it's not good. It's not the blessing hand of the Lord. I, I know that. I can tell that plainly and clearly. So Roe versus Wade has been placing a curse on this nation for the last 50 years and it has been righted. And even though states and woke corporations will uh, decide to pay for people to have abortions, they'll pay for children to die, that curse can start to be lifted. That reaping and sowing can start to be lifted, and that's where we are. So to apply all this, why would I bring this message to you this morning? In the midst of so much turmoil, there is light, whether it is the transgender issue that has finally gotten some pushback or the freedom issue and self-defense that has been bolstered or the right to life being promoted and thousands of children will now be born that wouldn't have uh, prematurely been aborted. These are moral issues that have been advanced and it will benefit us personally and our society in general. We need to be the ones that are well-versed in the scriptures. We need to be the ones that are well-versed in the cultural issues of our day. We need to be the ones that are willing to step out and with gentleness and respect, praying for wisdom and engage the people that are out there, the culture. We have to be willing to do it. We should not be cowering in a corner. Will you make mistakes? Oh, yeah. You're going to make mistakes. Will you have some successes? Lord willing, you will. But this is our job. This is our task, to be a witness for him and with the help of God's spirit. We will pray for peace. We'll pray for the eyes of the people who don't believe in God to be opened. And we'll pray for the heart to reach those who oppose everything that is good. This is our task. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that we have had these victories, or you have wrought the victories, Lord. It is none of us. We know that you have responded to the prayers of the saints the sanctity of life, the ability to defend ourselves and to defend others and the idea that there is a man and a woman that you have created and no other gender. These are now at the forefront and you have done this mighty work. I would pray that it would continue. I pray that we would be encouraged. I would pray that we would understand you're still on the throne and you have a plan. I ask, Lord, that you would give us strength and boldness on the inside, but with gentleness and respect that we might be able to talk to those who oppose you. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Please stand.